cliffcentral.com. You're listening to The Bounce Show with Byron Karpinski. I'm Hugh Bladen, and it's on clivecentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blades, and it's Ben Karpinski. Why didn't you tell me? Ben Karpinski on cliffcentral.com. All right, long weekend about to happen here in South Africa. We got Youth Day, which is the 16th of June, where people celebrate things happening around the youth. Or they just go, sweet, not going to work on Friday. Whatever it may be, that is your choice, even if you are youth, if you're not youth. Anyway, big show today. Wowzers, wowzers, wowzers. Middle of June, it is US Open weekend. And obviously, I'm hugely excited about that, being a massive golf fan. But I think you are too, because... Golf has four majors. This is the toughest one of all. And uh, Aaron Hills is the new location for that. We'll get into that later in the show. Of course, I interviewed Shane Bacon a few weeks back. Now, he gave some really great first-hand insights into what to look forward to for this weekend, how incredible this course is. There's been a lot of talk already about the fact that the rough is too tough. Uh, we'll get into that. Rugby-wise, jeepers, there is like... I'm I'm suddenly exasperated by what to look forward to for this weekend. But there's huge amounts of international rugby. The All Blacks are back in action, which is always hugely exciting. And uh, the British and Irish Lions and their tour, they're sort of, well, 50-50 right now. They've won two, lost two. But they probably get the toughest test so far. And they've got the New Zealand Maoris, which is quite a, quite an attraction in itself. This, of course, is a made-up team for special tours like this. And uh, they announced the team yesterday. It looks shit strong, like you would expect with all New Zealand rugby teams. So that's to look forward to. Then so much in the football because the Confed Cup starts. Now, if you do realize that um, every time a country hosts the World Cup, a year prior to that, like a dress rehearsal, they have the Confed Cup, which is really smart. So I think this is the 10th one, or it's been going for the last 10 years. I forget. Um Anyway, so it's going to be eight teams. So it's the six nations champions. Uh, I say nations as in, so African champions, um, South American champions, the CONCAF area, the South Pacific Australasia area, or I think is what it breaks down to. And then, of course, you get champions of Europe. So you'll have all the big international teams, all the big international players, and you've got to see what Russia is going to be about. So we'll be able to see where the games are taking place. The sort of time differences that we've got. Uh, if you are looking in the general middle of the of the earth, middle middle of the world, it's quite a favorable time zone. So all the games will be at night, sort of European time, which is kind of cool. And then uh, crickets. Well, we're gonna have to just try pick through the rubbish that was this last weekend. The protests did it again. They bowed out of a tournament with a really gutless display. And what I find interesting about this time around is that people who normally Sort of support the protests, and I was always one of those people too. I would support them through thick and thin. I'd never use the C word. You're right, I'd never call them that. I'd also never use the choke word. So it's just certain people have now lost their cool with this, this team. There's just so many chances, and there's no ways that with so much talent, so much everything, they can keep just falling foul at the wrong times, and there's no other way around that. So I've got Abby DeVillis' press conference here where he basically addressed the media, and like any other fallen captain of the Proteas, he didn't have a whole lot to say. But with AB, at least he tries to say things. Whether it's the right things, the wrong things, you will get a comment out of him. So we'll just pick through that. And of course, Pakistan. What absolute heroes these guys are in the cricketing world, right? Now, if you look at the resources, look at the form, look at the players, look at the experience, there's no ways that this team really should be able to just keep pulling off these really big wins. But they've been doing so for so long now. And it's no real surprise. I found this out yesterday as I was caught in this sort of, well, I'm still caught in this sort of uh Pakistan Twitter vortex which is which is quite something um there was a guy who commented on on something that I wrote about about how the fact that England were making a big deal about you know players going to the IPL are now going to become better off when it comes to almost like the ICC Champions Trophy and uh one man made a snide comment about the fact that um Kevin Peterson was going to object to the fact there's not enough English players playing in the IPL, whereas there's no Pakistani players in the IPL. And this guy was just torn to shreds. I mean, this tweet has been circulating in my feed now for about, well, 18 hours or so. 
And every time I look at my Twitter feed, I, it's just interactions, just notifications going off the whole time. I'd love to be out of this tweet. I'd love to be able to opt out of a tweet. I mean, this thing has trained us since yesterday. So there's that to look forward to. And then there's the whole Mayweather-McGregor fight that's now officially on the go. Golden State Warriors are the new champions of the NBA. Uh, it's just it's just a really great time of year. I mean, we all know because it's summer in the Northern Hemisphere where a greater majority of the sporting population obviously lives. When things happen up there, it always happens around the world. And then we've got so much rugby and, oh, so good. So let's get straight into the cricket, shall we? Because this might take a bit of time. Now, I'm going to be quite thorough with this because I want to actually go through the different elements. Now, last week, well, sorry, this week, in the aftermath of the Proteas loss, um, I kind of put a post out on the Bounce the Seed of the Day, which was all about Proteas therapy. Now, this is something I've done for a few years now. Unfortunately, it's something I have to do because, like you, I watched that game. If you are a Proteas fan, of course, I watched that game and there's just questions. It's the same questions and with absolute disbelief. We sit there dumbfounded as how the hell does this keep happening over and over and over? It's like watching a car crash, but you can't look away, but you just know it's going to be, that's it, it's done. So uh, I went back into the archives and, you know, back years ago, like when I first started the blog, which was 2010, I remember writing something in 2011, talking about another failed World Cup there. This is back in the stage where I didn't think the protests were choking. I just think they were having tough games and they weren't getting through. But then as I was doing that, people were trolling me so hard saying, oh, just call it a choke, stop being a dick. And uh, that's the official troll accent, of course. And people were just always going on me the fact that I was like supporting the Proteus. And I did. I supported them through and through. And I'm still a Proteus fan. But I can call it and see a choke when I see it. And there was so much pressure around these guys. Abby DeVillers gave this really cool press conference prior to the match saying, it's the big games like this that we know we, we know we can perform at and we've shown the last 18 months, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, well, we'll know what happened. So here he is addressing the media. Like I said, it's going to be a relatively lengthy clip because I just want to kind of play. And I, I really, I got to commend the media that was assembled here for this press conference. The questions weren't emotional. There's nothing too vindictive about this. They were just really, really good questions. And on that, I thought AB's answers were, well, let's just say they were very much discussable. Oh, yeah, I'll start up by the press manager saying, speaking to the microwave. Are you serious? I mean, the mood's tense and she drops that. That's pretty funny. So there we go. AB, deer in the headlights to Villiers. Uh, AB, uh, where, does, where does that loss rank in the long list of South African tournament exits? It's as disappointing as all the other losses in the past. Um, yeah, it's, it ranks right up there. It's, it's always very disappointing to me when we lose a game. And the way we lost was, was the most disappointing part of it. We were, we were really in a good position there with the batting end early on. And through soft dismissals, we, we lost our way. And that was, that was the, the part of, for me that hurt the most. Um, so we were right in the game. On the way for around about 300, which I thought was very defendable on that wicket today. That was quite, quite yeah. Run out. Runouts have obviously become synonymous with these defeats, um, and obviously, in a normal game, these things don't really happen. Um, what do you put that down to? That the fact that there's always there always seems to be a runout in in an exit. Very difficult to to explain that to you. I, I don't know how they happen. Um, it's a partnership out there. It's two guys that trust each other, trust each other to 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 pull off a run or two, and sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. And and if you come up short. I, I don't know what happened there today. Um, I wouldn't like to, to blame guys out there. Sorry, I just want to pick up on a theme here. That's in the aftermath of this match, the words I don't know, I'm not sure, you can't get an answer. It comes up a lot, and I'll bring this up, why I feel this is an issue. It's just one of those things that happens, I guess. I don't know how else to explain it. This is Shobit Ruboso, Hindustan Times India. You, Virat said that this match will depend on which team keeps its composure. You also said the same thing, mm. and not to get excited. So what happened with so much experience that South Africa had? Where did you lose the game? Was it composure? Lack of, you also mentioned communication. So where did it go all wrong with so many senior players, including yourself and Faf? Yeah, I, I, I felt the team was pretty composed today. It's, it, I, I don't think we lost it with, with composure. 
Um, a few error in judgment, um, a few mistakes out there cost us badly today, and we desperately needed another partnership in the middle over in the, in the middle order, and um, that, that's that's where we lost our way. We needed one more partnership there of 50 odd um, to get the the ball rolling again after my run out, and we couldn't do that. Uh, run outs happen, but three in one innings is is definitely um, not the way we want to play our cricket. That's for sure. So it's unfortunate we couldn't get that partnership going. Again, it's got nothing to do with composure in my eyes. I felt pretty calm out there with the team all the time. Uh, we played some good shots. Just a couple of bad error judgments out there that, that cost us. Uh, given that similar things keep happening when South Africa get knocked out of major tournaments, what kinds of questions are you going to be asking yourself and the team before you prepare for the next one? I'm not thinking about the next one now. Um, we just sort of want to just go get through this hurt now because it's, it's, it's hurting quite bad. I, I haven't thought of what we're going to think about our next tournament. Um, that's probably the World Cup in two years' time. Uh, look, we've, we've covered all the bases. There's, there's no doubt about that. We've had camp after camp. Um, we've worked really, really hard in the nets and um, we back each other, we trust each other. And for some reason, things like that just keep happen, happening. Um, it wasn't a knockout game today, it's still part of our pool games, so that's the one area that's a bit different, but it was still a must-win game, and that we, we pride ourselves in, in coming on top when we have to win a game. Uh, we've done that for quite a bit in big series not long ago, in the last 12 to 18 months, and unfortunately we couldn't pull it off today. Do you still want to play the next one? The World- Ooh, that's a burn of a question, huh? World Cup? Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe <laughs> um, a couple of points. Um, you, you're a very fine athlete, and it's very surprising that you've been run out so many times. Um, is it possible because you, you're chasing runs which maybe other batsmen would not go for? Me? Yes, uh, high number of runouts. Uh, um, your difficult question. Um, you see, <laughs> I, I just tried to take a one with my partner out there, and it didn't work. Um, I wasn't searching for runs. I wasn't even facing. Um, so. I, I wouldn't say it like that. Uh, there was a call out there, and I, I thought we could we could get through for the one. And also, were you looking at a specific score? The way the openers batted, they probably wanted to last a bit and maybe let the others go faster towards the end. Was that the strategy? Our openers. Um, I, I thought they did a fantastic job. Um, we would have loved to have gone for more runs in the first ten, but they bowled extremely well. They didn't miss the mark. There were no cut balls. Hi. I'm- so, um, yeah, uh, look, there's a lot more of this video to play. And like I said, it's actually really solid journalism because the questions are just so good. So as always, this whole blog post um, will go onto the bounce.co.za and you'll be able to see the interview and its entirety in this whole clip. But there's a couple of things I want to touch on, um, just making notes from that. Now, as you know, I'm a massive Abbey Davilis fan. I think he is not one of just SA's greatest, but I think what he's done for the game of cricket has been amazing. He really is just such an incredible talent. But I've got this theory about captains, right? And if you look through the history of cricket, star players seldom become great captains. If you look at the really good captains, these are the guys who just have a great understanding about team dynamics. And even though, like, you look at Australia, look at some of the captains they've had. They've had some bloody good players who've been captains. I mean, Steve Waugh, it was incredible. Ricky Ponting, he was incredible. But these guys have team understandings, right? Now, with AB, and I picked this up maybe not the first, second, or third time, but I get the impression that AB feels confident going into every single match. And so he should be because he's an incredible player. But he believes that the team is on the same level. And I think a lot of the stuff is, and I totally believe him when he says, I don't know how this stuff keeps happening because in his head, it's like, well, we've practiced damn hard. We know exactly what we're doing, but then the stuff happens. And when he says the team was composed, his exact words were, I felt really composed out there. So he makes a lot of the stuff about him. Not because he's got an ego or anything. It's just that that's how he sees it. Like he wants to lead from the front. He wants to take everything on. A lot of press conferences, you've heard him say, I believe we can do this. I'm going to take this. And he takes so much on, on himself. You know, he puts a lot of pressure on himself. Again, that's, that's the style of leadership. I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying these things need to be addressed because we, it does keep happening. And this team isn't as good as AB, I think. Okay. Current form, maybe not a great benchmark for this, but let's just, stick on the constant that this guy is incredible right so 
when he says, I felt composed out there, that's got nothing to do with it. The problem is this team buckles. It really buckles. So they didn't get the runs early on. Pressure was exerted from the openers because we all knew the Indian spinners were going to put a stranglehold in this match, right? They're playing on a worn, a worn pitch. Um, Jadeja and Ashwin, they were going to always be so tough to score on, okay? And there's 20 overs of the match right there on two players. Those middle overs were going to be tough as all hell. So what's going to happen? You have to take on the new ball. Okay, sure. Granted, the new ball bowlers bowled bloody well, but you've got to find ways of getting around that, okay? So they were under the gun. Fuff had an absolute implosion and before i get back to any more of ab's chat uh, AB, ab's talk in his comments uh let's just touch on five duplicies comments when asked about these runouts yeah look big mistake from my part obviously running ab out is never something that you plan on doing in your in your in your prep for a game um, but i thought in that time india was really good they they started getting a few dot balls um, and that created obviously a little bit of pressure um so Error and judgment from my side from the single and then good feeling from their point of view. Uh, and then, you know, to make it happen again another two overs later when, when Dave went for the run um, is obviously something that changed the game completely. Uh, and from putting us into a good position, two, three overs later put us in a really bad position. So, yeah, a crucial moment in, in the game today. How much did that weigh you? Yeah, look. So if you couldn't hear that, the guy was asking how much of those runouts weighed on him and how he batted going forward. You try and forget about it uh, as much as you want. You want to try and focus on what's in front of you, and there's a lot of cricket still to play, um, but it, it definitely it's still there. Uh, so it's just about getting through it. Uh, and like I said today, for me was. I ran AB out and it was important for me to make sure that I'm there towards the end and put some sort of total fight as a team that we can defend and then got out. Um, but I, I thought it was a pretty average day for all of us at the office that we weren't at our best. And credit to India for putting us under pressure and making us make mistakes. Just the last one. Uh, you're an experienced, I mean, one player like you is quite experienced in all formats. Uh, when, when such situations arise, you Look, I think experience experience doesn't count for anything in those moments. I mean, you know, there was actually I think seven or eight opportunities there for runouts. There were so many opportunities, even from the Indian team. Um, it's just it, it goes and it goes against you. You know, you you've got momentum, and uh, like you saw today when India were batting. They just took took the pressure and created a little momentum, and then they just ran with it. Uh, and we had a similar opportunity where it was needed for someone or two guys to just put the pressure back onto the team, and then you run with it. And we didn't do that today. Um, they put us under pressure, and we made mistakes, and we couldn't get out of it. So, you know, it's important Thank that we get, we get sort of both sides of this kind of stuff, right? So we can sit on the couch with our beers and go, oh, these chokers, these chokers, every single time they're just choking. AB was saying he doesn't know how this stuff keeps happening. Fuff was saying these run-out chances always happen. Now, see, I just I have a fundamental problem with this because in in cricket, in all sports, there's this really great cliche about controlling the controllables. Now, I love this because it actually makes a lot of sense. So go back to the teams that get, get things done, right? So again, if you look at any sort of brilliance in cricket, you go back to the Australians. In Australian performances, right, you don't see guys on the same end of the pitch with two bats in hand waiting for the third umpire to work out which of them got to the wrong end before the other. That's embarrassing. What's even more embarrassing is that this, this is the second time in Champions Trophy history, right, that Dave uh, Miller and Faf Duplessis have ended up in the same side. 2013, the exact same thing happened. India were the opponents. The exact same thing happened. This time, Devin Miller went for a duck without without even facing. 2017, same thing. Um, so, controlling the controllables, yes, Faf, I totally agree with you. Experience counts for nothing. Sometimes things happen. But to get back to what you and AB seem to be on the same page, and again, this is just my opinion on this. I don't play international cricket. That's why I always want to hear what these guys have to say because they were actually there. They were actually doing it. But whether international team of any class or any repute does this kind of stuff happen over and over and over? AB was just saying, like, I don't know how this happens. This is what every single um, protest captain has been saying since we've been navigating these tournaments. There's not 18 ICC tournaments in a row that there hasn't been a win. 1998, of course, was the only time that they've ever done that when uh, Jacques Callas still had his own hair. 
So you've got to look at all the other teams. Like, why is it the other teams are composed enough? Abi Villa saying that that he felt the team was composed is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard from a, a from any any person in my life. That team buckled. It buckled terribly. And runouts don't just happen. That's the thing. Like you can be calculated with how you go about things. I know pressure makes you do funny things. It makes you really, and we can't ever comprehend the amount of pressure that goes through it. These guys have a split second to face a delivery, right? They have another split second to work out. Is it going to be a run? Is it not going to be a run? But that's what being, that's what playing cricket is about. Other teams aren't doing this. So as much as I want to always agree with these guys because I support them, you always look elsewhere. Like, where else has a team had a guy not run a single and then end up on the other side, run out with no bat in his hand? Historically, the approaches have a fundamental composure problem. It's just true. Alan Donald, I mean, those scenes are still etched in the minds of many cricketers when we should have won that World Cup as South Africans. I mean, we really had it. Lance Klusner was killing it. There was a star-studded team. And... uh those images come back to haunt us every time. The images now are Fafti Pussy and Devin Miller on the same end of the pitch with another tame runout. These images are sticking with us. So, like I said, I've written an entire blog post about all of this. I don't really want to dwell on it too much, but there are problems. And this whole thing about I don't know anymore, sure, there's no obvious answers, but you've got to look at history. Why does it keep happening? Why are other teams managed to negotiate around these pressure situations, but not South Africa? It's, a, it's, it's just... It's hugely frustrating because you feel for these guys. And I know they're hurting more than we are. We're hurting, but I mean, we go back to our lives, right? They're hurting, and this is their lives. This is it. So they'll always be known about this. These kind of things can break you as a human. They really can. And I feel for these guys. But they've got to be honest. They've got to start being really, really honest and say what's really need to be said. I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but I don't think AB is going to be the captain going forward. I really don't purely because I just don't believe in star players leading teams because they see the game differently. You need someone who's a slightly more on the level. That's why I think Faftu Basi is a great captain for the Proteas. Just the team dynamic around him says so much more. People seem to know their roles better. And um, where AB fits in, only he knows because that's the, unfortunately the thing around that. But to move on, we've got to move on. And Pakistan, well, good on them. If you just look at all the factors around cr- Pakistan cricket, right? Now, when they beat the Proteas, the rain came down and you almost felt like the way Morne Morkel was bowling, that could have been a lot closer because that batting lineup isn't so great. But the way they went about beating England yesterday, that was amazing. It was so great to see. Their bowlers always adapt. It's just, again, you got to learn from other countries, right? Batting-wise, Proteas far too conservative, far too defensive in these situations. The pressure then builds because they haven't got the runs on the board, and then those stupid runouts happen. That's that's just it. It's a cause and effect kind of thing. Look at England, right? They were the laughing stock of that last World Cup. They really were. They were so beyond crap, and everyone just laughed at them. They then went out and said, look, guys, we need to grab this game by the balls, or we need to start batting positively, and we need to start hitting it around. Backfired yesterday against Pakistan, just like it backfired at Lords against the Proteas. But the thing is, that team looked like it could win the title. The Proteas never looked like they're going to win these things. So you can laugh at England all you want. I know it's something that gives a lot of joy to all of us, which is fair enough. What they've done must be commended. That's what I say. You've got to learn from these guys. Learn from the bat. And then from the ball, from the ball, learn what Pakistan do. They had a guy who just made a debut yesterday in that really must-win semi-final clash. A debut where he looked like he knew what he was doing. Now, it can't just come down to coaching, right? Because Mickey Arthur is the coach of Pakistan. Alan Donald is involved in a variety of teams that we've seen do well internationally, not just South Africa, right? SA coaches go out there and they do this. The actual fundamental composure of our guys is just an absolute concern. But yeah, getting back to Pakistan, it really was a fantastic result. And there might have been some sour grapes afterwards. I'll play you a clip now of... Um, Files Morgan, he was talking about the, about this whole worn pitch thing. And, um, you know, like I said, Pakistan can go anywhere in the world and they will adapt, mostly because they haven't got a home ground. They haven't got a home country to play cricket in, so they'll adapt to anything. And it's, again, it's just a sign of a champion team. you got to adapt. You can't keep having plan A. Anyway, here's Morgan talking about that. So on conditions there, what, what did you make of them? Do you feel as though? Of course, their game was played in a worn pitch, so they really had action on it. So it was always going to be a little bit lower on the scoring. They kind of played into Pakistan's hands a little bit. I don't think there was any home advantage, if that's what you're asking. Um, 
you know, we knew that we were going to play on a used wicket at some stage in this tournament, and certainly we found out the other day that today was going to be on a used wicket. Um, and having watched the game against Sri Lanka, we actually didn't think it was that bad. Um, but certainly today it was coming from Edgebaston, it was obviously a, a big jump in pace and bounce, um, and a, too much of an ask for us to adjust to, really. And, and yeah, following on from that, do you feel that it was kind of your side's failure to adapt to those conditions, really, that, that cost you? And, and does that leave you a little disappointed, bearing in mind the, the talent and the skills that you've got? Yeah, it, it, we left ourselves short today, ad- adapting to the conditions. Um, and it's a big frustration, because I think we've played some great cricket in this tournament so far, and we weren't anywhere close to it today. And, and fair credit to Pakistan, they, they played brilliantly. You were uh, unbeaten in the, uh, in the tournament. What do you think? This was a pressure match. Uh, are you were uh, overconfident? Your team was overconfident? Certainly not. Not overconfident. You know, we played against some really good sides recently and we've managed to beat them. And certainly that hasn't gone to our heads at all. I think coming into today's game, knowing that we were going to play on a used wicket, potentially brought you know, Pakistan's game closer to their home. So it was a big challenge and one that was too far for us. What is the turning point of this match? The turning point? I don't think there was any significant turning point. I thought it was, it was pretty dull, pretty, yeah, pretty dull. I mean, Pakistan didn't seem to struggle in the same way on the pitch. Did it get easier or is there some other explanation? I think the explanation is they played two days ago. Four years ago you played the final against India in conditions that didn't suit you. The same has happened again today. You mentioned home advantage there. Do you think that it should be more of a factor in these tournaments, that the home side should enjoy that? I think it depends on what the ICC want to get out of the tournament. If they want it to be completely neutral ground and bring all the teams into the tournament, which you know would have no home advantage, I would keep it the same way. Um, in World Cups, you know, you have fresh wickets and they can vary from ground to ground, but certainly dictating it in a certain way if you're relating to the final that we played in was was a bit far-fetched really. Oh, and was it explained to you why it had to be a used wicket? There's eight there's eight wickets on that square panel. Uh, as I as I know it, um, every ground gets three pitches allocated to them. They're told to prepare three grounds and depending on how the grounds come back from the first three games that they play determine which pitches they use but they're not allowed to prepare others. I mean, th- this tournament scene is a sort of... Okay, so the press conference was basically about this whole worn pitch issue and I think... I think Morgan, to his credit, was pretty, pretty diplomatic and pretty balanced around what he was saying there is that he wasn't making it an issue, but it definitely was a factor. Anyway, Waka Yunus went onto Twitter and he, <laughs> he didn't see it that way. This is his tweet from yesterday. Stop giving that lame excuse, Ian Morgan, regarding the used pitch. You guys have been thrashed fair and square by Pakistan. Drop that. <laughs> That's kind of cool. So Pakistan through to the final. Uh, today, 15th of June, we'll see India taking on Bangladesh for this weekend's spot in the final. And all I can say is I really hope it's Pakistan-India in the final. It is the biggest thing in sport. It really is. You've never seen spectators, fans, whatever, have so much interest in something. It's absolutely insane. And it will be a packed-out crowd. It will be huge, massive, incredibly, incredibly big. And I really hope Pakistan win. Like I said, I really, I really admire those guys. I like what they do. And with the limited resources, I think they're really, really great for the game. Anyway, it must move on. Get on to the golf. It is the US Open, and it is just so exciting to know what's going on this week. It is a major, so therefore all the best players in the world are there. It is always a great course. Now, the US Open, just like the Open Championship, they have a rotor, so they have certain courses which they then go to in various years. The US Open has taken on a few new courses, which is their whole plan about being quite innovative and in how they make these majors, whereas, of course, the Open Championship, we've got these time-honored links courses, which some may say are getting dated. Um, whenever the old course does host the event, some people are really, really um, adamant about the fact that it's just it's too short, it's too small, it's too quaint, it's all those kind of things. But the US Open, they've been quite progressive. Now, Chambers Bay, there was a big hoo-ha about Chambers Bay, right, because they had a lot of public play up until about a month prior to the event taking place on the course and they said the course was mostly unplayable in times. It was hard, it was fast which is fine but the greens were bumpy and a lot of players had some horrible things to say about it. Gary Player being one of the people who was most outspoken he had an absolute shit fit about this place saying it was unplayable, this is a joke, there's no way this should hold a a major and that fight is still going today so him and Robert Trent Jones Jr. who has been a, a 
great course designer for decades now. They apparently still got a spat going. And Gary then, <laughs> with this guy, <laughs> Gary Player, like I've said to you so many different times, he's one of the most entertaining things in sport by a long way. You may have jumped the shark this week though, because he then released this whole, um, kind of like a press release again. It's not really addressed to anyone. It's just talking about this whole thing. But the tweet that came out was, I'm wishing everyone well at the US Open this week. And you go into this release and basically it's just Gary saying, I'm amazing. Robert Chen Jones Jr., you shut your face. And it's been spread all around. So that's how the, that's how the golfing week started. But there are just so many new gems that just keep popping up around Gary Player. So here he is on the Golf Channel and uh, someone's kind of remixed Gary... <laughs> A bit of a theme tune here. Okay, Gary. Speak up, Gary. Oh, shit, hang on a second. Can I go like this? Okay. You slobs, get shape. Get in shape. You slobs, get moving. Then dance with music. Get fit. Get moving, man. Get inspired. You slobs, get shape. Get fit. Get moving, man. Get inspired. Watch this. Shoo, shoo, cha. Higher. Cha. And then dance with music. You slob, get shaved. Wow. See that? You go. Sha, shoo, sha, Unbelievable. And then dance with music. I think that should be everyone's theme tune to life. <laughs> Gary Flair. Wow. Never, ever a dull moment with this dude. So, US Open, Aaron Hills. This is it. So, like I said at the start of the show, my interview with Shane Bacon a few weeks back on the show did highlight just how unique this course is. And everyone's going on about the fact that it's much fairer. It's very long, of course. It's probably the longest US Open that we've seen. Uh, these things are played at sea level, generally. So, for people who are living in Johannesburg, the numbers may not seem ridiculous, but it's... um particularly long and because it's op- quite an open golf course right so it's link styled but it's really in the heartland of america it's right in the middle it's near lake michigan uh it's in wisconsin now it's in the same state where whistling straits is that's where jason day won the us pga championship uh it's a beautiful course it really is it's hugely open um and because it's so open and because the wind does play a bit of a factor they've made the fairways just essentially rather this is say generous okay so the landing areas are pretty wide and it's fair the wind picks up however you know the margins always are decreased hugely and the pros well they got to the course and they went out into the fescue and kevin Na in particular and the rough is hectic it's just so so big and uh this was kevin Na's fates no gary enough about you this is kevin Na's take about how ridiculous the rough at uh sorry aaron hills is we're at the U.S. Open, Aaron Hills. Let me show you what we're dealing with this week. You got three to, yard, three to four yards of rough, maybe five at the most, and then you got fescue. I'm going to throw a ball in there, literally. So fescue, of course, is a type of grass. That's what all the Lynx courses in Scotland, and all, they're all made on fescue. I threw it literally three yards. Now, if you're lucky if you find your ball. Now, I just moved grass, and I found it. And I'm going to play out of here. Let's see, It's like a hazard. Every hole we got this, every hole. No chance. Nope, didn't move. Move the foot. Now I can't find it. Now why can't we have uh, a lot of the past US Open winners get together and set up a major? I'd like to see that happen one day. Okay, so he's unhappy. Let's just go with unhappy. And he's got a he's got a case. He was hitting a ball, which is right by his feet. He lost the ball in the rough. Okay, you watch that video, you think, okay, Kevin, fair point. But then Roy McIlroy, who again is just so great because he doesn't really hold back in his comments. Well, he had this to say about the rough being unplayable. Um, thoughts on the fescue? Because then they started to cut some of the holes back, and this is Roy's reaction. Kind of mow down that's that's going on out there. What do you mean? Uh, there, there seem to be cutting down a lot. Really? Of, a lot of the fescue. I mean, like, <laughs> we have 60 yards from left line to right line. Like, you've got 156 of the best players in the world here. If we can't hit it within that avenue, you may as well pack your bags and go home. Like, I don't get... These are the widest fairways we've ever played in a U.S. Open. And even 
the first and second cut, it's another 10 yards on top of that. You know, so if you've got 50 or 60 yards to hit into and you're complaining about the fescue that's wider than that. Yeah, again, great point. And look, if you go into, I put a big preview yesterday and you'll see a flyover of every single hole. Obviously, when you get in the fescue, it's dreadful, but you've got to treat it like a hazard. So even though Kevin now is going, it's like a hazard, then yeah, play it like a hazard. If you can't, if you're not confident about finding a fairway, then you club down, you take a long iron, you take a hybrid or whatever it is. But the fairway is just, that's how you play US Opens, right? It's of primary importance. Here, at least you've got wider fairways to aim for. But it's a long, long, long golf course. There is four par fives for the first time since 1992. It's going to be a par 72. And obviously everything goes towards Dustin Johnson being an overwhelming favorite. The guy hits it all day long. And uh, all the big bombers actually are going to be your big favorites. But then I found this clip, okay? So when I say all the big bombers, I'm, of course, talking John Rahm's going to be in there. Michael Roy's going to be in there. Jason Day's going to be in there. All the sort of, like, usual top-class uh, players. Then I found this really great clip from this dude talking about some favorites that you might not consider. And uh, <laughs> I've got to play this guy purely because he's just so, so excited. Hello, my fantasy friends. I'm the Raging Redhead Cam Stewart from Hot Roster Today, here with your fantasy golf preview. This week, the PGA Tour is off to Wisconsin for the second major of the year, the U.S. Open. The 117th edition of this event is taking place at Aaron Hills Golf Course, which in a lot of ways is an unknown variable, because 2017 marks the first time this event will take place in the Badger State. But what we do know about Aaron Hills is this. It's going to favor power players, giving at the course will play over 7,500 yards in length on most days. And although the fairways are wider than most U.S. Opens and the rough and fescue at Aaron Hills, it is simply nasty, which means driving accuracy is going to be an important factor this week. So without further ado, here are my three best bets for golf this week. If you want to pick a favorite this week, look no further than the 2013 U.S. Open champion, Justin Rose. He's a good... Yeah, fair point. Okay, look, it's quite a long clip. Again, I'll put it on the site so you can see all the way through it. So look at the favorites if you are in the betting game. You, Dustin Johnson is number one, all the big favorites, but you gotta look at some other little stats here. So it's gonna be relatively long. So the guy's hitting driver all day, right? So you gotta pick the guys who are really good with a long club. Uh, you gotta look at greens and regulation because once you miss a green in the US Open, you are struggling, all day struggling. So I've picked a guy who, I know, I know this sounds biased because he's my favorite golfer, but if you look at Ricky Fowler and what he has produced this year stats wise, right? So we know that he's about 300 yards off the tee. So he bombs it out there. Um, despite his very diminutive frame and the guy's even smaller than me, but he bombs it out there. So distance is fine for him. But when you look at the other sort of key stats, this is why he is such a great bet for this week. Firstly, great sort of recentish um career of showing in something in the in the in the majors he's done pretty well he's come close in the u.s opens before but if you look at some other key stats here uh here he is sorry i want my glasses with me today he is eighth in putt percentage right so that's obviously where it's a big deal here for for golf. Oh, here we go He's first stats, uh, sand saves, right? So first on the, on the PGA tour and the stats when it comes to sand saves, a lot of bunkers are in this, on this, uh, golf course it is one of their sort of big defensive points. Okay. The wind's going to pick up. That's going to be a factor, but bunkers are going to be a big deal. Ricky's first on tour for that. Sixth in total driving efficiency. So that's obviously your accuracy, um, basically your distance, all that kind of considered and strokes gained around that. So sixth out of everyone. He's eighth in one putt percentage. So you've got to be nailing putts to be winning these things, whether it's for par, a par save of 10 to 15 feet, or whether you're getting a birdie, whatever. He is eighth on tour. And then he's 19th, greens and regulation from 200 yards plus. Now, this is going to be a very, very long golf course, and there's a good chance that a lot of your approach is going to be from the, 280, from the sort of 180 meters, 200 yards out. So I think he's such a, he's such a good bet in that respect. He's got the experience. When it comes to playing in wind, he's won the Scottish Open on, on, on an actual Lynx golf course. He doesn't mind the breezy conditions, I reckon. you got to go with the favorites, sure. But Ricky Fowler, who is, of course, he is in the top 10 in the world, so he is one of the favorites. But he might not get a lot of attention because the traditional big bombers will get out there. Otherwise, look at a guy called Brooks, uh, Brooks Kepka. Also, I think he's a great bet. Uh, Louis Ostez and Adam Scott. These are two tremendous drivers of the golf ball, two tremendous ball strikers. They've got to be in the mix there. And then the outsiders, well... Again, you're just throwing darts and you're going outsiders. But look at a guy like Shane Lowry. He was so good last year and he blew out in the final round for Dustin Johnson to win. The guy has got some sort of BMT that he brings out in 
big tournaments. And I think he'll have learned so much from last year that I reckon he is a good bet. Weather-wise, it's going to be pretty good throughout the weekend, so nothing too hectic. The greens will be softened up with a bit of rain here and there. Sure, the USGA will always try to protect par, and they're all going to trick this course up where they can. So if you can stay out of the fescue and you're long enough, I reckon this is going to be an exciting, exciting tournament for all the big names. And I can't wait to watch this. I'm really, really excited. Quickly getting on to some other sports. We don't have a lot of time left. Like I said, the Confederate Cup is taking place in Russia from this weekend. So that will be the first match Saturday, SA time. All of these 5 o'clock on Saturday will be Russia versus New Zealand. Sunday, you'll be able to see Portugal versus Mexico, same time, 5 o'clock, and then Cameroon versus Chile at 8. So it's giving you a nice snapshot of what the World Cup's going to be like in 2018. So the games will be sort of 5 and 8, uh, Central Europe, uh, South African time. Then we'll see from next week, Australia, Germany, uh, they'll be on the Monday. Wednesday, we'll have Russia, Portugal, Mexico, New Zealand, same day. So all the teams there, they'll have like a bit of a round robin kind of clash. And then Wednesday and Thursday, 28th and 29th of June, there you'll see the playoffs kicking in there. So if you like that, Confed Cup, it's going to be a big deal. I just hope those Russians aren't going to become racist in the stands because, you know, it's a big issue over there. So much so that referees have been given sort of new license of how they can stop matches if things become a little bit unruly. There'll be stadium announcements. Uh, identifying areas where these chants are coming from and they can even then go as far as stopping the match on the basis of in like just you know un unacceptable taunting let's be honest that's what it's got to the fact that there is still so much racism in football is a huge concern and uh it's it's just it's it's absolutely abysmal this stuff still carries on so that's going on uh right now Bafana Bafana they just currently lost their unbeaten streak uh, they lost the Zambia in a friendly, so that 18 matches is all gone. But of course, we're all just so excited about the fact that they did so well against Nigeria this past weekend, beating Nigeria 2-0. New coach Stuart backs off to the dream start. I mean, that really is a massive, massive result. There is um, another thing that's really big right now is the playoff, the promotion relegation thing for the PSL. So if you play in the PSL as a local team, that's great. If you play in the league below that, not so great. So it looks like Barocco will stay in it. They basically need uh, a draw against Black Leopards over the weekend or to lose by two goals. It's fine because they they play each other. So there's three matches involved here. And uh, Barocco are, well, they're a little more solid. Stellenbosch FC are out of it. Black Leopards beat Stellenbosch FC 3-1 last night. So if they can somehow beat um, Barocco over the weekend by more than three goals, kind of the goal difference, then they can go up. It's highly unlikely. But when it comes down to goal difference, it's so funny that an incident last night might still have a bearing. Now, you know, in football, when someone gets injured, you kick the ball out and then the other team then returns it back to the goalkeeper. So this happened last night. And if you go into supersport.com, look out for the highlights package. One of the funniest things you've seen in football this whole year. Sonnenbosch FC get the throw in. They then kick the ball back to the goalkeeper but then something a little bit untoward happens. Wow, well that is unbelievable. The ball is returned to Baraka, I mean to Black Leopards rather, and uh, it is a goal. Stellenbosch have scored. <laughs> now we wait to see for a true moment of... of oh, a- wow, it's so funny. So the guy kicks it literally from the halfway line, right? And it goes over the goalkeeper's head into the back of the goal. So is this really bad sportsmanship or is this a contender for the Puskas Award? Because this is a tremendous goal. Putting the ball out when they didn't need to. And Stellenbosch... From his own half. Turning the ball here through Shatembi have gone on to score a goal. It is a mistake by Muleka. He didn't judge the bounce at all. The goalkeeper puts the ball back in his box thinking it's just a goal kick. But no, it's a goal. The goal stands. That is classic. I have seen it before. I have definitely seen it before. Where... <laughs> So yeah, I think Brock is going to be too strong for that game on Saturday. Into the rugby. So the baby box. Well, they were, I mean, this, this, this forward pack of the baby box right now is absolutely incredible. And they took on England in the semi-final. Now, England are the toughest of all, I mean, all the nations in this under, under 20 category. These guys have been dominant for a few years now. We knew when Andre Pollard was in that sort of all-conquering baby box team in New Zealand, they came and stuck against New Zealand, sorry, against England. And England since then have been kind of unbeatable. Well, 22-17 up with a baby box in the semi-final. 
And uh, this happened. Now, if your Georgian is not quite so flash, I'll tell you what happened. The baby box went full proteas. Oh, had a chance that English eighth man ran through three limp tackles under the post, and England win that one 24-22. So, baby box are out of it. That forward pack's incredible, but the composure's going to be asked about that back line. And Cohen Bosch in particular, people are saying maybe he isn't ready for the box just yet, and it's true. But this is the thing. This is why it was so important for him to go to a tournament like this rather than going straight into the box team against the French, even though the box fly halves are kind of not so flash at the top level. This is how you learn. This is how you become a better player. And hopefully Bosch and the rest of these youngsters can learn from such a heartbreaking loss because there's so much talent here. And again, you always hope that experience will then mold them into something stronger. But going into the rugby, so the British and Irish Lions, they have a midweek team and then they have like a Saturday team. That's how these tours always work. Midweek team has now lost against the Blues and they lost against the Highlanders. So it was a good game against the Highlanders this week, coming again uh, sort of one-point victors there. So this weekend, it's going to be a much sterner test and obviously a much stronger British and Irish Lions team. But it's going to be difficult to see. This is always the hard thing. You've got an understanding about who your strongest team is. But then if they're not performing, and some guys are performing in the so-called midweek team, you don't want these headaches going into the test matches. So this weekend, no doubt all these matches are treated like test matches. So against the, the Maori team for New Zealand, wow, it's going to be so difficult. I don't know the classification fully about this whole Maori team. I know there's something about bloodline and all that kind of stuff, but Damien McKenzie is their fly half. Um yeah, so anyway, that's going to take place this Friday, um, so, yeah, so Friday night, New Zealand time. Uh, it'll be Friday morning, South African time. You watch that one, it'll be nine o'clock. And then this weekend, New Zealand will take on Samoa. Now, this is a really big game because this is a big curtain raiser for them, obviously. So that'll take place 10 o'clock Saturday morning. The New Zealand team is pretty strong. There's no Karen Reed. There's no Dan Coles. They're still injured, but that team is still looking so mighty, mighty strong. Sonny Bill Williams comes back at number 12. So he is now sort of seen as the, I think, first choice 12. There were three Barretts in the squad, and they will obviously be too strong for Samoa. But interesting to see how they go, because three test series against the British and Irish Lions, no matter how crap they might be prior to these test series, to, to the actual test matches, they'll always raise their game. Friday night, SA time, 5 o'clock, we'll also see the SAA team take on the French Barbarians. Now, this will be at the Moses Mobile Stadium, the first time a rugby sort of match of this caliber will be played there. So that'll be very interesting to see how the sort of second string of the Springboks right now and the depth to kind of do around that. There's been a lot of injuries, a lot of guys called up from the SAA team into the Bok team itself. And, of course, the very next day, the Bok's will take on France at uh, King's Park, which is obviously just across the road there. Other matches to look forward to for this weekend. So Fiji will be taking on Italy. That'll be at 4.30 if you're into that, SA time. And then Australia will take on Scotland at 7am. Japan taking on Ireland also at 7am. And then into the evening matches, SA versus France. And France are no doubt going to be stronger. The box looked all right over the weekend. You've got to say, call a spade a spade. You only play what's in front of you, and they did all right. They uh, capitalized on a French yellow card, which resulted in an instant penalty try. They then scored two more tries from there and were handsome victors in the end. They scored four tries in total. This week round, much stronger French team. They're playing in Durban, and the box recent run in Durban has not been good whatsoever. I mean, they got absolutely hammered against the All Blacks in a record defeat there, and they took a dicking to Argentina the year prior to that, prior to the World Cup going there. So, much closer match. I still think the box are going to be good enough to win, but I don't see it being a big, big margin. And Argentina versus England at quarter past nine on Saturday night. England edging Argentina last week, 38-34. So all the guys that didn't make it into the British and Irish Lions squad, they've got a lot to prove there. And Eddie Jones has taken a spirited team that's doing well. So loads of rugby to look forward to there. And then just finally, before we get going, um, there's, still, there's just so much sport. I couldn't get through everything today. But this whole Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather fight. So we all know it's going to be a massive money spinner. That's pretty much what it's going to be defined as. It's like the $100 million fight. The guys are going to get paid so much money. I saw a tweet earlier about the fact that Conor McGregor, uh, back in 2013, had a, picked up a welfare check for about $235. Fast forward to 2017, and he stands to get, well, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but he's going to make a lot of money, a lot, a lot of money. These guys say they're not going to fight for less than $100 million, whatever it may be. Not important. The whole thing is that because their mixed martial arts and boxing, of course, are very different sports, 
McGregor said, whatever it takes, I will fight you even if it means it's going to be a boxing match. So it will be. It'll be a full-on boxing match. It'll be taking place in, in Las Vegas towards the latter stages of, of August. But this is where I was chatting to a friend prior to the show. This is where I believe they, they've missed the trick here. Floyd Mayweather is 40 years old. He no doubt is a better boxer than Conor McGregor, even though he's now retired. Okay, That's fine. We all know that. But he's a defensive fighter who will obviously use the ring, manipulate his experience against McGregor, who will be looking to knock him out. Mayweather doesn't knock guys out. That's not his primary objective. Obviously, in boxing, you want to knock a guy out because he does, then he stops fighting you. But but Mayweather's always going to run his career knowing he can just score the points. He can outlast people. He can avoid getting punched. He's just so good technically and tactically. He's just another level. That's why he had 49 unbeaten fights. McGregor, on the other hand, will look to knock the guy out. So... They're going to be, this is a small thing, right? But it's worth considering. This fight should be with MMA gloves. This might sound stupid to you, but think about it. Floyd Mayweather's got the boxing gloves, right? So he can just land a few punches here and there and points. McGregor hits him. Those boxing gloves aren't going to have the same punch that McGregor usually gives in the MMA fights when he knocks people out. So if the gloves were MMA gloves, right? That hurts a whole bunch more when you get punched with that. Can you imagine Mayweather suddenly, because everything's in Mayweather's court here, right? It's his sport, it's his rules, it's everything. If McGregor were to land a punch with MMA gloves and Mayweather just landed, found anything on his face, the fear, the absolute fear, he would be shitting himself going into this fight because he knows McGregor needs to hit him once and it's going to be a different story. Hitting with boxing gloves, he'll ride the punch. Basically, he will be able to deal with it. I just think this is a feature that needs to be changed and the dynamic will be completely different here. Mayweather, it's all advantage for him. Everyone knows he's going to win if it's just a boxing match. But if you change the gloves, all you need to do, you'll see a very, very different fight. That's pretty much it for the Bounce Show this week. Thanks for joining me. And uh, if you have been listening live, thank you very much. It's always nice to have um, interaction on the messages. I'm sorry, we have run out of time for that. Um, yes, I do believe that the box did play well last week, just looking at the top message here. But we've got to judge everything on this week, everything this week for the box. I know there's been some great uh, stand-up performances so far, but that French team last week was pretty weak. And even if it wasn't a weak team, first match at altitude, I reckon all about judging this. We'll go more in-depth as of next week on that. Uh, for everything else, go on to the bounce.c.za for my full U.S. Open preview. U.S. Open, of course, today starts here on Thursday, the 15th of June. Otherwise, uh, everything else you need to know, the bounce.c.za. Otherwise, follow me on Twitter at, sorry, at follow the bounce and then Instagram the bounce. Also, go onto my YouTube channel, the bounce there and, uh, please subscribe, tell your friends, blah, 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 blah. That's it for this week. I'm going to play out with a song randomly selected. There it is. It's Snow Informer. It's been great having you in studio and uh, catch you next week. Cliffcentral.com